Hello, RBA, and welcome to another edition of the RBA Replay Podcasts. Uh, it has been a while, but uh, we think we might remember how this works. Uh, I am here with uh, the owner, manager, and uh, despot of the Arizona Greenbacks, Jeff Hobbs. Hey, everyone. So, Jeff reminded me that it has been a while uh, since we have done a replay podcast, and we are going to pick up where we left off, um, which is at 2016, the 2016 season. So the last one we did was 2015. Um, and some interesting uh, developments in 2016, uh, sort of the beginning of, of one minor era in the RBA. Um, and uh, I guess we will begin talking about 2016 by looking at what happened leading up to the draft. So um, just to remind you how this works, and partly to remind me, because, you know, it's been a while and I'm getting old. Um, so we're going to talk about um, anything that happened before the draft. Then we will uh, discuss the draft, and, and Jeff will give his original, I guess, post-draft scores. Then we'll discuss anything that happened during the season, and then he will give his uh, deadline and end-of-season scores. And then we'll discuss the playoffs. The playoffs were rather eventful in 2016, so uh, that should be interesting, too. So, all right, well, um, looking at the trades that happened as we led up to the 2016 season, anything that you uh, particularly remember, Jeff? Um, let me see. It, it's been a while. This is about four years ago. Oh. This is March of 2020, so this all happened <clears throat> about four years ago. Let me see about any I do notice that Vegas traded Pujols uh, for Freddie uh -huh. Freeman in a first, which is interesting. I guess that wouldn't really be qualified as a Pujols trade. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you traded a first-round pick for Logan Forsythe. Or is that Wilson Alvarez? No, no, that's Logan Forsythe. Oh, yeah, no, that was fine, actually. Um, of course it was, right? Yeah. That was a, uh, but you know, here's the interesting thing. Oh, that was Elm Grove's pick back. That was the last pick of the round. That's how he got a first round pick. Oh, and so here's one of the stories of 2016. So I guess I buried the lead on this trade. So uh, Jeff traded for a crappy middle infielder. Hey, he but, was good. <laughs> but Ch Chad got a first round pick back with that. And of course, since he won the title in 2015, that was the last pick of the round. Actually, one thing that should be pointed out is that the, um, I actually I do remember making that trade, and I made it in large part because the well, we'll talk about this, but the draft became a lot weaker starting in 2016 because we introduced ah, an auction. Correct. Okay, there you go. So um, the the start of the auction era in the RBA with 2016. So a little bit of uncertainty about what a draft pick was really worth at that point, I guess. Um, Obviously, Elm Grove um, had made a trade to get Zobers, Diavaldi, and, and Tony Watson with Vegas, who sold off. Um, as I recall, Vegas was not that good this year. Am I remembering? Yeah, yeah. They Maybe were, they were yeah, they a were, little bit subpar. They were just a little down. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The first money that was traded uh, in this offseason was uh, in the Cespedes trade. Atlanta got Joanna Cespedes, which uh, turned out to be a big bat in their lineup. Um, Elm Grove traded for Justin Verlander, which is ironic because it is, as I say this uh, today, that I announced that Elm Grove has traded away Justin Verlander. So here they are with Justin Verlander um, in February of 2016, getting him from Fort Duquesne, which is, I believe, the first time he was traded. No, no, some idiot traded him back in 2007, 2008. I don't remember who that was. We'll forget about that. Um Atlanta and Dunedin made a minor trade. Oh, here's, um, let's see. Las Vegas traded Cole Hamels, Colin McHugh, and Mike Moustakas for a bunch of uh, Atlanta picks. So there's Atlanta getting stronger there. Oh, and... Fernandez. Yeah, Jose Fernandez went from Atlanta to Vegas. That's how that they trade. got him, yeah. Yeah, and I, it was that season. Yeah, it was the end of that season that he died. Yeah, very sad, very sad. Um, the, the one trade that stands out to me, of course, and I remember this happening, this was on the... I believe it was the Friday of RBA weekend, um, was, uh, we were, so 2016, we were at Aaron's, right? Yeah. For the, for the draft. Um, so Middletown, um, Aaron Anderson just come off of losing the championship to Elm Grove in 2015. And, uh, I remember we were at Aaron's house and he had been somewhere, maybe with one or both of his boys. And he walked in with his phone in his hand and he said, 
So I just traded for Zach Greinke, yeah. who was some sort of monster player that year. I mean, I don't remember his yeah. grade, but he was he was a stud. Yeah, and he just traded it all. He just yeah. traded everything. So this was before the RBA championship in which he lost to to Chad. And so he just traded all his money to SoCal, which means that I actually have written in the trades that, that SoCal got $150. And if Middletown lost the championship, they got the extra 20, which is exactly what happened. So that SoCal <laughs> ended up getting $170 um, in that trade. So right. That was probably the biggest trade. Um, oh, yeah. Had to have before been. Before the draft and auction. So... Yeah. Um, any other comments before we talk about the auction itself? No, I think we should go right into the auction. Um, we had uh, we had money from the season before. Jr. had given everybody, I think, a hundred dollars the year before, mm. and so we had a massive amount of money going into twenty sixteen. And what was interesting about this was I'm I, I had two oh seven, which is normally a very large stack, but I was I only had the fifth most money in the league. Mm-hmm. That was actually right in the middle for that season, and I, I ended up sitting out the 2016 auction, and I remember this well. I participated in it, but I didn't actually come home with anybody, and I remember... He was there but didn't do anything, so basically like any other Jeff Hobbs yeah, experience. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> and, uh, but the funny thing is, I remember thinking going in that I probably wasn't going to buy anybody, and the reason for that was actually twofold. Number one, I, I thought that I thought that I thought there was going to be a, a ridiculous amount of spending going on that year. I thought it was going to be like pretty irrational, and the reason I thought that was because number one, it was our first auction, so people didn't really know how much to spend, and number two, we had all that money from the year before, so I was expecting you know teams to spend tons of money, and I actually thought that whatever I could save would be more valuable after all the money had been spent in 2016. But anyway, and I think I may have been the only team, yeah, I was the only team that had a lot of money going in that, that actually didn't spend any of it. Any team, the only team great with uh, more than six. <laughs> the only <laughs> team with more than six, yeah. Middletown had zero, of course, because they just dumped it all for Granky, and Elm Grove had six because it's Elm Grove and, you know, resources. Uh, and then Atlanta only had 58, but they did get a player for 40. I believe the first player. Chase off Anderson, the, board. the yeah. very first player. It, this is a neat trivia question. The first, the first auction player ever was Chase Anderson, pitcher, starting pitcher, yeah. limited use, forty dollars to Atlanta. The first player ever taken in the auction, and then right after that, Miguel Sano went for 170 to Fort Duquesne. Just traded to Arizona. Just traded to Arizona, yeah. This offseason. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Carlos Rodon for 210 to Berea. Yeah, and Carlos Correa was the other huge money guy. Two hundred eight to SoCal. Addison Russell was one hundred six. He was the other three digit player. He went to Dunedin. Mm-hmm. So those were the big big names, and then you of course had some others. But, As yeah. I recall, it was it basically came down to Correa at the end. And SoCal had oh well, it was you oh uh-huh. that's I, why reason, I was two oh eight. The reason he went for two oh eight was because I had two oh seven. And, and you yeah. were the only two that had any amount of money left yeah. at that point. And so the fact that Jeff had two oh seven kind of pushed that to to the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was ninety ninety eight percent sure that he was going to go for two oh eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. Very interesting. So that was our first auction uh, that we ever did, 2016. More money going in and more money spent uh, probably than than any auction since then. Oh, had to have been. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the draft. So the 2016 draft. I, I looked at this briefly earlier, and I commented that uh, the first round did not look... Um, yeah, that's because... You know, imagine those imagine those dozen players from the auction in the yeah. draft and everything yeah. changes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually making fun of Jeff for his number three overall pick of Devin Travis. I liked Devin Travis at the time, though. Yeah, he was a I'm good sure. player. No, he was a good-looking player. The, it's funny, though, when you look at that first round, um, Morales, Kendry's Morales went first overall, and that tells you everything about how things changed from 2015 to 2016, I think. Yeah. I mean, he was a good player, but you wouldn't expect him to go first overall. Ever. It was interesting because Ford Duquesne had obtained Sano in the auction. I remember that uh, maybe a bit of an unexpected pick there of Morales. And then second was Taiwan Walker. Yeah. Yeah, and I took Travis third, and then Will Harris, a relief pitcher, went fourth. You never would have seen relief pitchers go, you know, fourth overall prior to the auctions. And that was Atlanta, and Atlanta will be a big part of this podcast, of course. And and I think that Atlanta basically just had everything except a bullpen. <laughs> they were just like, well, 
We've got every other position covered, so we'll go ahead and go for this. Yeah, and then a few interesting names. Aaron Nola, who turned out to be the most valuable player in this, uh, at least in the first round of this draft. Yeah, other than Alex Rodriguez. Well, who but went by that point, yeah, by <laughs> by that point, I mean, what was this like? A Rod's last year? <laughs> I guess I don't know. It seems so funny to see him on the 2016 draft. You know, it, it's weird. We see so many kids of major leaguers nowadays that I actually looked at that and I was like. Did he have a kid? Who is that? Is <laughs> yeah. that Alex Rodriguez's kid? Is that some other Alex Rodriguez? No, that was actually Alex Rodriguez. So Dunedin took him. But yes, Aaron Nola was an excellent pick. Probably the best um, the best player in that first round moving forward, I would think. And that was Las Vegas. Right. Um, did you mention that was Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about Vegas later. Don't worry. Reisel is Glacius, Adam Warren, Starlin Castro, and Gio Gonzalez closed yep. out the first round. Again, maybe, maybe worthwhile to mention that Elm Grove actually had a first round pick. I mean, it was the... Last pick of the round, but still, it's technically yeah. a first-round pick, and that was the first one they had in I don't know how many years. Uh, 02? Yeah, maybe since 02. Was it? I mean, I, yeah, it's I, possible. I'd have to do some yeah. on-the-fly research, but, I mean, for a while, it, it had gone from 02 until at some point. Yeah. In 02, it was Roy Oswald yeah. for, uh, for Chad. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly a, a talent discrepancy there uh, that the auction created. Yeah. Um, should I give my scores? Well, let me, just a couple of notes. I mean, Trevor Bauer went with the first pick of the second round. I think that's notable. And Michael Conforto with the second pick. So Ford Duquesne and Berea with very nice picks there at the beginning of the second round. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, oh, sorry. Anything else? Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really see much of anything else to comment on. Just looking for names as I scan through. Vegas took Joey Gallo in the fifth round. That's that's pretty good. I mean, just looking at it. Oh, and they took A. Eugenio Suarez in the sixth round. Uh-huh. I got to give it up for Cooper here. He was finding players who, at this point, look pretty good. He took Marcelo Zuna in the eighth round? Those are all Vegas picks. Those are all uh-huh. players who seem pretty good right now. Right. Uh, okay. Um, now that seems about good. Go ahead. So I've got the so here are the scores after the draft and the I don't know these scores might be a little more compressed. I'm not sure. This was I think I think I was putting together a new kind of spreadsheet at this time, so I'm not sure. But these scores look a bit compressed, except there is one notable exception we'll get compressed. to. Compressed. What do you mean by compressed? All right, well, well I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain. Okay. So in the Larkin division. Uh, I'll just go alphabetically. In the Larkin Division, Arizona uh, started the season with a 104. That's about a 90 win. That's a 90 win season, right? Atlanta, here's why I say compressed, really, not so much Arizona as Atlanta was only, I say only, a 122. Now, 122 is a 96 win team. It's a, um, it's a, it's a borderline great team, probably on the great side of borderline great, but still, it's not like tremendous, right? It's, it's not, not all time. Yeah, it's not all time great. It's not historically great. That, mm-hmm. That's, I save that for like 130s, 140s, and whatnot. Um, but as we'll see, they had an incredible, season and they did great in the replays and everything so not sure Dunedin was a 72 that's just below average Elm Grove was an 84 that's average or just above Las Vegas uh negative four no it's not easy to get negative no that's a 50 win team that's 50 and 112 Mm. I mean that is uh was arguably the worst team I would say probably the worst team in RBA history and as we will see and as we've already alluded to that score would get worse because of Jose Fernandez's demise yeah. uh, later, late in the season. Yeah. Over in the pocket, Berea uh, starts out with a 48. That's like a 69-70 win team. Uh, really bad, but not quite terrible, I guess. Fort Duquesne, a 108. Uh, Middletown, a 110. Notice how close it is between all these. I mean, Atlanta was the best, but notice how close it is in the next tier between Middletown, Fort Duquesne, Arizona. Then you have, an, with an 86, Silver City. A little above 500, and then with a 69, a little below 500, you have uh, SoCal. Mm-hmm. So, again, it looks like a pretty fun season starting yeah, out. Yeah, it you've, does. Yeah, I mean, you've got four teams with scores over 100, but you've got Elm Grove at 84. You've yeah. got Silver City at 86. You've really just got one team in each division mm-hmm. rebuilding, and even one of those two rebuilding teams, Berea, wasn't horrible, right? right? right. So, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yep. Any big trades during the season? Uh, let me, so, uh, actually, I need to to back up a little bit. I know Jeff likes, loves it when I do this. Um, I mixed up my starting pitchers. I was referencing, so when we talk about Verlander, we need to talk about Justin Verlander here for a little bit. Um, so, uh, 
I referenced that Verlander was traded earlier in his career. I mixed him up with Felix Hernandez. So what oh, I was yeah, referencing I was, was I traded away Felix Hernandez. Yeah. So I was trying to call myself an idiot. Um, I was not trying to call Doug Punt an idiot who traded Verlander to me when I was managing the Chicago team. So I sometimes get that mixed up. I, I traded away one and got the other one. So I I did – Verlander started out with Baltimore, but then he was traded to Chicago um, in, uh, in 2008. But now we need to talk a little bit more about Verlander. So – I don't really have I don't I don't have record of how he got to Elm Grove. So this is very interesting. You'd think I would I would maybe I'm just not seeing that. Oh no, I'm sorry. Yes, I do. Okay. So Chicago became Fort Duquesne and and Fort Duquesne had Verlander um after that. What we mentioned was at the beginning of this season which we already talked about, Fort Duquesne traded Verlander to Elm Grove. And so I was sitting here Part of, you know, me being addled here, I forgot that I had traded away Felix Hernandez instead of Verlander. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, Verlander was just traded in real time uh-huh. in the 2020 offseason, yeah. right? March of, of 2020. He was just traded from Elm Grove to Berea. Yeah. So I looked at that and I said, oh, Elm Grove had Verlander in 2016. But something d- didn't click. Something didn't feel right with that. Mm-hmm. Did, did, does this strike you no, as weird? No, I'm not no. sure what you're Here's why it doesn't feel right. Because at the trading deadline in 2016, Elm Grove traded Justin Verlander. <laughs> Guess to whom? <laughs> yeah. Berea. Right. They traded him. This has happened already. So <laughs> Elm Grove traded Justin Verlander to Berea. Uh, Justin Upton and Prince Fielder went to Elm Grove. Verlander, Wainwright, Michael Taylor, and a six went to Berea. So this has already happened. Elm Grove traded uh, Verlander, which is very fitting that we're doing this right now. <laughs> so obviously that means that Berea traded Verlander back to Elm Grove. That happened uh, before the 2018 draft. In that case, Verlander went the other way for, well, guess what? A hundred dollars, uh, which is interesting. Um, and some picks that Berea got. <laughs> so Elm Grove and Berea appear to be just bandying Verlander back and forth. I guess they're recreating the Javier Vasquez uh, relationship that Chad had with Cooper. Right. <laughs> so that... Um, Something struck me about that, so there you go. Um, Other trading deadline happenings in 2016. Um, Atlanta did not get better or worse. Um, They did not do anything. It looks like, let's see, just some minor moves for Elm Grove beefing up a little bit. They got a couple of starting pitchers, Shields and Richards. They got Miguel Montero. Uh, they uh, They traded Verlander away and got Upton and Fielder, as we said. And then at the deadline, Elm Grove got Alex Rodriguez, uh, <laughs> Nick Martinez, Jonathan Papelbon, and Justin Morneau. So Elm Grove getting players was um, pretty much the extent of everything that happened at the deadline. I was going to say, because if you want, I don't know, do we have any other stories other than I got off to a really good start and, and maintained it. Atlanta was, I mean, I, uh, so I have finished the season with 101 wins and didn't even come close to winning my division. Because Atlanta yeah. won 114. Uh, an all-time great performance <laughs> yeah. by Atlanta. And Jeff's spreadsheet all along had them as the best team, but, you know, like a 96-win team. And he kept saying, you know, wow, I mean, they're yeah. good, but are they really this good? <laughs> right. And they, they kept winning and winning and winning. It's, it's funny. If you look at the, the Larkin division standings, Atlanta wins 13. The, the separation between Atlanta and Arizona is 13 games. Arizona then finishes 15 ahead of Elm Grove, mm. who finishes 18 ahead of Dunedin, who finishes 31 ahead oh! of Las Vegas. Oh! There was a Las Vegas finished this season. Get ready for this. <laughs> 77 games out of first place. Mm, 77. 77. That's obviously a record because Atlanta finished with one of the very best records we've ever seen. 114 wins, right? Mm -hmm. Las Vegas wins 37 games and loses 125. That's how. Is that the worst record we've ever had? I think. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Thirty. Yeah, yeah, because the old the the worst record before that was Adams. Twenty and sixty one. Adams twenty and sixty one season in '08 after winning the title and then punting the whole you know everything. Right. Um. So yeah. So (laughs) double that you get forty. Obviously, Las Vegas breaks that record (laughs) with thirty seven 
in uh, in 2016. And uh, over in the Pucket Division, Middletown ran away with it. So it really wasn't. <laughs> although there was a well, there was a really good playoff race. Actually, Elm Grove tied Fort Duquesne with the fourth best record in the league. Um, well, oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, Silver City w- wins 87. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but. Um, the ending scores, the scores after the trading deadline, as you said, they didn't change that much. Um, the big difference here is in Elm Grove. So Arizona finishes with a 104, which was exactly what we started with. I think I made a trade, but the average changed. Um, but any, I didn't do anything big. I didn't big. see a trade on yours, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, maybe not. I don't think I did anything big, put no. it that way. We um, never do. Atlanta finished with a 127, so they increased by five points, whatever. I don't think they did anything either. Again, it must have just been the average change. That's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. Dunedin, 65. Elm Grove jumped, I think, was from an 84 to a 98, so that's yeah. pretty significant. Mm-hmm. 14 points. They certainly ran, yeah. made a run for it's it. It's not massive, but it's notable. It's big. Um, Los- I think they saw the future coming, because in 2017, yeah. Yeah. Elm Grove would have have a very rare yeah. uh, bad season. Uh, not just bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. But um, Las Vegas finishes with a minus 11. Hernandez, oh. uh, Fernandez, rather. Fernandez, Fernandez dies, and Vegas goes from a negative 4 to a negative 11. I'm assuming that's all that happened. I don't think they had anything to trade. Mm, uh, they traded a thing or two, I think, I, I mentioned in there. Um, okay. I don't remember now exactly, but... Berea, 42. Fort Duquesne, 112. Middletown, 111. Silver City, 89. And SoCal, 62. So, um, anyway, so those were the team scores uh, per the Almighty Hob spreadsheet after the trading deadline. So, we obviously had Fort Duquesne was a 112 and actually had the best score in the division by one over Middletown. Middletown, a very worthy winner of the Puckett division at 98 and 64. Yeah. Um, obviously Atlanta and Arizona, um, still triple digit scores, very worthy playoff teams. Um, Chad had moved up to a 98, Fort Duquesne was a 112. Um, they were beaten out for the fourth playoff spot by one game by the Silver City Vultures who had a score of 89, um, so above average, eighty four wins, eighty five wins. Yeah. Certainly above average. So Silver City ended at, at with eighty seven wins to Elm Grove's eighty six and Fort Duquesne's eighty six. Um, so that's how that one ended up. Um, if you do look in the records, that will look a little bit different. But it was the case in twenty sixteen that Silver City. Um, they did go to the playoffs, and they did match up with the number one seed, Atlanta. I was going to mention um, that due to a rainout, the end of that season actually ended with Silver City playing the last game in a rainout makeup, it looks like, against Dunedin. Um, and that, and so that game did end with a Silver City victory. The Silver City actually ended with the last three games of the season being wins to beat out Fort Duquesne and Elm Grove for that last playoff spot. Um, all right, so, you want to talk about the playoffs? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I was very happy to win 101 games. I didn't expect that. Um, yeah, Arizona looked good, but the problem was, uh, well, I, I was scared of Atlanta. I think everybody was uh, that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, not just because they won 114 games, but because they had a really good team underneath that. I mean, they, well, they were lucky to win 114, but hell, I mean, any baseball team is lucky to win 114, really, no matter how good you are. Um, I think we all recognize that they were probably the best team in the league. I certainly thought that they were. Um, I had a lot of depth on this team, but I also didn't quite have the star power that Atlanta did. And um, I didn't have to play them in the first round because I guess I was the three seed, which meant I played Middletown. Yes, you were the three seed, correct. And, and I actually, we, we waited to play that yes. series. So and, let's talk about that one second. Sure. Because that's how it chronologically happens. So one of the more memorable series I have ever played, um, the first round series between Silver City and Atlanta. Um, so... Even going in, Atlanta finished the regular season with 27 more wins than Silver City. Atlanta, obviously, an all-time great season, an all-time great team. And this was really after, in Atlanta's 10th season, this was their real shot. Um, Atlanta uh, had not won the title yet, Um They'd been to the playoffs once. They'd been to the playoffs once in 2014. This was, I mean, you know, do I root for any teams? You know, somewhat. There's not much I can do to, you know, not anything I can do to affect the gameplay. So 
I wanted Atlanta to win. I, I usually will root for the best team, that has all been. else being equal, yeah. anyway, in a season. I mean, they yeah. deserved it even just in 2016 for having such a great team. Yeah. I really, and I will also root for a team that had never won. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted Atlanta to bring this thing home. And um, everybody was scared of them. And, you know, at, at Arizona and Middletown, clearly better teams in the playoffs. They dodge both of them. They get Silver City kind of snuck into the playoffs. Silver City comes out in the first two games and takes them both five to one and five to two. So they just take down this Atlanta offense um, in those games. Atlanta does come back and wins the next two games decisively, including a 16 to four win in game four. So they even the series at two two. What seemed to be a death blow was Wade Miley in game five. Wade Miley goes out and pitches the game of his life. Um, complete game shutout of Atlanta, like the one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Nine innings, he does scatter seven hits and four walks, and Silver City wins three to nothing to take a three games to two lead. So Atlanta needs both games at home to even advance to the championship series. And what that sets up is a game six, which is one of the best playoff games in history. And and I was agonizing with Champ. Um, Atlanta, this team that had won 114 games, was taken to the absolute brink. They were down 5-2 to two in the eighth inning, including a Miguel Cabrera homer in the top of the eighth that made it 5-2. to two. So Silver City leads this game 5-2 to two, going to the bottom of the eighth. Just two more frames available for Atlanta to try to overcome a three-run deficit just to get to a game seven. Um so Cespedes, they, they started with the top of their order, very formidable. Cespedes leads off with a double. Goldschmidt walks. That brings up, and after a strikeout, that brings up Lorenzo Kane. He flies out. So it's two outs in the eighth. They're down three, but they do have two runners on. Their catcher, Kurt Casali, comes to the plate. And there's a reason why this game is known as the Kurt Casali game. Kirk Casale hits the biggest home run in Atlanta history, a three-run homer that ties the game in the bottom of the eighth at five. And then it goes to the bottom of the ninth with the score still tied at five after Atlanta gets out of uh, two runners on in the top of the ninth. And Neil Walker leads off the bottom of the ninth, leads it off with a walk-off home run, giving Atlanta yeah. the 6-5 to five win. <laughs> so Atlanta just <clears throat> rescues this game thanks to those two big homers. And then they came out and scored four runs in the first inning of Game 7 and held on behind A.J. Burnett, actually, 4-1 to one to win the series, just pulling oh, Burnett, it back from the absolute Yeah, Burnett branch. pitched a complete game. He did. Complete game, uh, five hits, one run, 12 strikeouts in that one. So very crushing blow for Silver City, but one of the all-time great teams manages to make it through, despite, I mean, all seemingly being lost. And then we had a kind of a different kind of series, and, oh, and, yeah. and Jeff was involved in this one, um, so I'll yeah. let him kind of take the lead on this and see what well, he remembers. So we yeah. had Arizona and Middletown. Yeah, I mean, you'll want to pull up the individual games, but what, sure. we, what we did was uh, we held the following season's uh, RBA weekend at Aaron's house in mm-hmm. uh, Maryland, and because of that, and because I knew I was going to be there, and obviously Aaron was going to be there as mm-hmm. the host, uh, we decided to actually postpone. We we decided to wait until RBA weekend to play our first round playoff series. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I we got we got up there like Friday night, I guess. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, this was Friday night. Yeah, when we decided to play the series, then I mean, it was really our only chance. But but we you know we did save it uh, until then, and um, and uh, he got off. Aaron got off to a really big series lead. He won game one, was 4-1. to one, mm-hmm. Great right? key started game one, of course. Yeah, Strasburg struggled a, mm-hmm. a bit. And then, in, and then in game two, Salazar scuffled for me. So it was, mm-hmm. it was rough, you know. Both of those well, games were 4-1. to one. It, Both were 4-1. to one. Mostly that one-two punch of Granke and Keuchel was yeah. big for Middletown that season. Oh, and they, yeah. they, they kind of got those first and two then he games. murdered me in game three yeah this was seemed to be the death blow here for, for arizona so this, this was, was his swan song this was it? danny heron's swan song after a pretty nice career you know about a 10-year career mm-hmm. or whatever it was in the rba he uh 
he was on my team. This was his final season. He was good. He wasn't great, but he was good uh, for that season. And uh, But he got killed. He gave up five earned runs in five innings uh, in game three, and that was all. <laughs> and I guess Springer got hurt. I didn't remember Oh, Springer that. got hurt for the series, mm-hmm. or really for the, everything. And uh, uh, so we were down three games to nothing. So I was pretty frustrated. Not because many series have gone to three to nothing. I right? was pretty frustrated. I mean, I had missed the playoffs. I had rebuilt in 2014 and 2015, which wasn't fun to begin with. And I hadn't made it to, I'd only made it, the playoffs once really since 2011 and hadn't made the, uh, hadn't made the finals since 2011. So it had been, I mean, it's only five years, but still, um, so, you know, I was looking to go back uh, to the finals, and we went down 3 nothing in that series. Yep. In what was really, I think, a, a fairly evenly matched series. Our scores were pretty even. Our records, were, I won three more games. He had a little better team by spreadsheet. It was all pretty close, though, I think, those two teams. And so I'm down 3 nothing in the series thinking, what, you know, <laughs> at least let's make a series out of it. You right. know, let's let's at least uh, look like a ball team here. And you did. <laughs> and we did. We won. Well, we 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 eked out game four. Yeah, you were down four to two going to the bottom of the sixth. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that that was uh, we ended up hitting uh, Hunter Strickland pretty mm-hmm. hard in that one. Yeah, uh, they started DiSclafani, but anyway. Um, so we yeah, and then we won eight to four game. I guess oh, that was five. I remember the grand slam by Eduardo Escobar. I remember that now that I see it. Yeah, it was four to four in the bottom of the eighth. Mm-hmm. Remember this? It was yeah. four to four, and Eduardo Escobar <laughs> hit a grand slam. Eduardo Escobar was the player I had to take in the second round because the player I wanted, Michael Conforto, went with the pick. He went the pick <laughs> right before. Yeah, and I, I really wanted Conforto, and so and Escobar fit nicely, fit really nicely into that team. But I'm, in hindsight, even though Conforto is a very good player. If I don't have Escobar, that series is over. Yeah, right he hit there. it off Andrew Miller. He hit it off Andrew Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew Miller. And then, uh, and then I win Game Six, four to three. Yeah, it. I I didn't remember this one exactly, but it looks like you scored one in the top of the ninth. It was three to two, and you scored one in the top of the ninth. Looks like on a on a uh, a Donaldson error. Okay. Interesting. So there was a runner on third and one out. And Encarnacion hit a grounder, and Donaldson threw it away. Um, so you ended up with uh, a 4-2 to two lead, which was important going into the bottom of the ninth because you put out Mark Lowe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Lowe was good that year, and he <laughs> Donaldson, struggled. Donaldson doubled with <laughs> yeah. one out, and yeah. then Jason Hayward doubled. <laughs> so Hayward, the tying run, was on second with one out, but Lowe got Pujols and Ibar to end the game and even the series. So it's funny. I just want everyone to think about this for a second. So I, so by the time we even got to game seven, right. Um, I was pissed off because Middletown had beaten me in the first three games. So I'm, I'm sort of just, you know, fuming over here. Right. By the time I come back, to win games four, five, and six and tie the series, Aaron is fuming. <laughs> of course. So everybody in this room is angry. Except me. I was enjoying Except JR. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't count. But uh, So we take it all the way into game seven, and this would end up being Dan Heron's <laughs> final game, the Poor final Dan game Heron. of his career. He goes three innings, <laughs> gives up four earned runs, seven hits. I mean, he just imploded. Faced only 17 batters. Yep. Finished the series with an ERA of 10. Yep. And uh, and that was really all Middletown needed. They had a six to one lead after the fourth inning, and it ended up seven to one. I mean, it was <laughs> I didn't really I wasn't able to put much together against Lance Lynn, and then he brought Lance in Lance Lynn won two games in that series. He did, which is interesting because a couple of years later we would have yeah. more Arizona Middletown. Yeah, with <laughs> Lynn still on the front on the on the oh, roster. Yeah, and look at that, Wade Davis and Andrew Miller both at their in their prime. Yep. they come in and pitch the eighth and ninth and allow one base runner and, or two base runners, I suppose. Yep, but. Yep. Um, yeah. Exactly. Well, and that leads us up to the championship. Uh, a somewhat memorable championship, I think. It was it was interesting because, um, you know, Middletown had the duo of Granke and Keuchel. Obviously, they had more, but that was what they were known for. Atlanta had the really powerful offense, and they just stacked it right up. They just would put Cespedes and Goldschmidt at the top. Lorenzo Cain, Chu, it was really very formidable at the top. And it was interesting, Middletown set the tone in game one with a one to nothing victory 
they scored their one run in the top of the first inning. Uh, and Zach Grinke made it held up. He went eight innings, only two hits, two walks, 12 strikeouts. Wade Davis nailed it down. So Middletown's big purchase of Grinke seemed to be paying off. But then it all changed. Middletown won that first game, and then it all went downhill for them. Um, oh, I guess Keuchel must have gotten hurt in that series against you. Okay. Yeah, Keuchel was hurt. So Anthony DeSclafani had to step in and start game two. And he got killed. He got murdered. <laughs> so Atlanta got to him, and it was when this was when it started. Cespedes had three hits. Goldschmidt had two hits. Kane had two hits. Atlanta had 14 hits overall, and they won 6-3. to three. They came out in game three. Um, Cespedes and Goldschmidt had hits. Shinsu Chu hit two homers with four RBI. And Chase Anderson, he of the first auction pick, threw a complete game shutout for Atlanta. Lance Lynn got killed. Yeah, right. So there's the beginning of the Lance Lynn problems for for Middletown. So Anderson far outclasses Lance Lynn in that one as Atlanta wins 5 Faced 30 batters, three over the minimum. They must have had some double plays or... Caught stealing. One double play, yeah. yeah. Oh, and two caught stealings. Yeah. 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 Both th- the same guy both times. Yeah. Span. Um, yeah. And then, so Middletown was down two to one, but they probably thought, well, you know, you know, but then <laughs> game four ended up 19 to two. Atlanta just seemed to, to uh, just put the foot down. Cespedes, Goldschmidt, Chu, Kane, Mustakas, Walker, all of them had at least two hits. Nunez had a, a big home run, as I recall. I mean, just, was it, no, it was not a grand slam, but 19-2. to two. Oh, and Keuchel started that game, so maybe he came back for that one, but he wished he hadn't. And uh, he gave up seven of those runs, and Colin McHugh won that one. So look at that line on the look at the last pitcher there. Look at this line on uh, Morales. I don't know who that was. Franklin Morales. Yes, yeah. three innings, nine hits, nine runs. <laughs> Whew. So some bloated ERAs there for Middletown. Yeah, uh, and that brought us to with a three to one Atlanta series lead. It brought us to Game Five. Good and game. that it was a good game, and that one Granky started, so Middletown did have some measure of hope. I mean, they they put Granky back there on the mound, um, and he pitched well, but he gave up some runs. He only gave up four hits and no walks in seven innings. However, he did give up four runs. Atlanta starter AJ Burnett also gave up four runs, and it was tied four to four going to the top of the ninth inning in this decisive game five. And so it was in the top of that ninth inning that Atlanta was able to score the winning run against Andrew Miller, who had a tough playoffs, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, one out, second and third for Brian McCann. And I remember this now. Brian McCann was the player who drove in the winning run for uh, Atlanta, which was very fitting because Brian McCann had been on the Atlanta Avalanche for their entire history. He singled home. Um, <clears throat> he singled home the winning run in the top of the ninth to uh, give them a five to four lead. Atlanta, and then Will Harris, he of the first round pick, fourth overall, nailed it down in the bottom of the ninth. Atlanta, the Atlanta Avalanche, won their first ever RBA title in five games in 2016 over Middletown. Yeah, um, yeah. Atlanta finally wins one. And with a great team, like we, you know, like we, like we'd been talking about, Atlanta had the best team in the league that year. I'm f- fairly confident in saying, but Middletown had the, actually the best starting pitching, like Keuchel yeah. and and the and other Granky, yeah. yeah. Um, Middletown was good everywhere. Atlanta was very good everywhere. I mean, these, yeah, two two very good teams. Uh, obviously, not too much of a surprise that you'd see two teams like that meeting up in the finals. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, 2016 was, I guess you could say it was when we completed the transition in a way. I mean, 2014 was the weird year where we began the transition mm-hmm. from JR's old, uh, old program to APBA baseball. 2015 was the first year that some of us played our games. Yep, that's right. But only like three or four of us, right? I did. And well, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. you did. John. Aaron did. John did. Ah. Uh, 
I don't think Chad and Cooper were in at the beginning. No, I think it might have just been the three of us, or and Bob Parker. I think. Did. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, he and Baker were doing it from the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was 2015, and then you know 2016 was the f- and 2015 was also when we first infused uh, cash into the league. Yeah. But 2016 was the first year that we um, had an auction. Yep. And I'm not sure if other people started playing games in 2016 or if it was still just the, like the four of us. But um, Chad and Cooper started around then. I don't recall exactly. Oh, I'm I'm sure. I don't think Cooper did because mm. why would you? Yeah, I think he started the next yeah. season. How about that? We'll say that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth. I mean, I do think that this Las Vegas effect team. If you held a gun to my head, I think I would say that this is the worst. This was not only the worst team in RBA history up to that point, but still the worst since. Really. I think the only, I mean, you could make a case for some other teams. We've talked about some of these teams. Obviously, 2013 Silver City is like that comes immediately to mind. Yep. Also, also 2003 Las Vegas at the end of the season comes to mind, right? That was like the lowest spreadsheet score, at least in, up until now. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I but it, so. it wasn't as low as negative 11? I don't think the team was a negative 11. I, okay. I'm not sure about 13 uh Silver City either. And the team that Chad had in 2017... We'll get to that team, but I don't think oh. that team was quite as bad. Okay. That's okay. next year. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I think... Baltimore 2012. Yeah, oh, SoCal 2012. Oh, SoCal 2012. It was Baltimore 2011. Maybe, yeah, those were the two teams that couldn't hit Okay. at all. But I think if you, like again, held a gun to my head and said, what's the worst team in, his- in RBA history, I think... I would be tempted to say 2016 Vegas. I might be saying that just because their actual record was so bad, but, you know, there's 03 Vegas and there's 13 Silver City and maybe, um, maybe 2012 SoCal. For me, those are like the the worst four. Um, Atlanta, one of the, I don't know if I'd say one of the 10 best teams of all time, but probably one of the 20 best this year. You know, we're 20 years in now, or we're going into our 20th season. Um, A great team, no question about it. Uh, Yeah, probably the only truly great team from this season. Mm -hmm. But we start to see a little bit less parity in the sense... In the sense of Las Vegas being so bad and Atlanta being so good. And what we would come to in future seasons, 2017, 2018... Um, is a lot less parity, mm-hmm. and I think that's partly because a lot of the coaches were so have become so involved yep. in trading. So yep. the bad teams sell off, the good teams beef up more than ever before. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the the, the tragic death of Jose Fernandez. Yeah. Uh, probably hurt. deserves a quick mention. I mean, we yeah. have mentioned it, but yeah. uh, he dies at the end of the season. And Jr. If anybody doesn't know. JR, I'm sure they do. Yeah, JR, uh, if a player dies, even though we use the previous season statistics, <laughs> it makes no logical sense at all, but it's just a, one of those funny quirks of the RBA that we might as well preserve, I guess. I guess. It's one of those funny quirks that if a player dies, regardless of the fact that we use the prior season statistics and you would therefore think that we would, you know, keep using that player, JR makes that player die simultaneously in the RBA. Yep. And so that players. and so Cooper's already horrendous team of score Lost of negative its best four. pitcher by far. Yeah, the team was a negative four. It becomes a negative eleven because Jose Fernandez is suddenly just gone. He's yeah. off the roster. <laughs> that happened with Tyler Skaggs this year. Uh-huh. Yeah. And who was the first player, do you remember? Was it Mike Dar. It was Mike Dar. Arizona. Arizona Greenback, Mike <laughs> Dar. So we, we unofficially might call it the Mike Dar rule. Mm-hmm. But we've had to enforce it a few times, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Dar. I also had Ken Caminiti. Did he die while he was still playing I baseball? I don't think so. No, I, don't I think, think he might have died a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah, I think he died when he was like 45 years old or something. I right. think he'd been retired a few years. I'm not sure about that, but I don't think it was when he was still playing. Yep. Um, but anyway, yeah, any final thoughts about 2016? I'll just say for my part, because what the hell, this is, <laughs> these get a little Arizona-centric, but I'll try not to make it too bad. Um, I rebuilt in 2015, right? And 2014, I sort of tried to contend and then we transitioned over and I didn't really have much of a team anymore because it didn't translate well at all. Mm. So after a couple seasons of being really off, it was nice to come back strong in 2016 with a really good, really deep team. Um, even though it wasn't the best team in the league, it was up there. And, um, and then to win 101 games was quite a surprise. Oh, I haven't done the replay results. 
Oh, I need to. I almost forgot. This is these are the replay podcasts, and I forgot to give the results. <laughs> That's about this, right. We're a little out of practice, folks. Uh, stick with me. I'll just add that that yes, Vegas might be the worst team of all time in 2016. Maybe Vegas 2016 is the worst team of all time, but I actually think the worst team of all time is any team that had Greg Myers on it. Yes, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> we will. Well, not in this podcast. But I'll, I'll mention it. I'll mention it later. All right. So let me mention the uh, replay results. That's that's I. Can't can't believe I almost forgot that. This is how I, I can. This is how out of practice we are. Oh, as if you remembered. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Way to remind me. Anyway, so hey, here's the replay. Result. Here's how the replay. Yeah, here's how the replays finished up. So twenty replays, uh, one hundred and sixty-two games each. Uh, here we go. So Atlanta wins the Larkin Division, and not surprisingly, I'll just spoil it now. They win the entire thing with an average of hundred and four. Point, mm. 104.4 wins. They, they made the playoffs 20 out of 20 times, which in baseball is hard to do. So this suggests that the spreadsheet just didn't capture something about yeah, this team. Yeah, because I had them as like a 97-win team, 98-win team by the end of the year, and they still finished six, seven wins ahead of that, above yep. that. So Arizona finishes exactly 90 wins. They uh, 15 playoff appearances out of 20. Sounds about right, I suppose. Um, Elm Grove, 86.6. Good but not great team. They made the playoffs 9.5 out of 20 times, so basically a coin flip for them. And then you have the Needham, 73.90. 73.9 average wins, zero uh, playoff appearances. And then Vegas. So here's part of the reason why I say I think this is the worst team of all time, because this oh, is impressive. This is impressive. No, it's something. It's nowhere near the 37 they actually won. If, if that had been the case, I'd say without a doubt, this is the worst team ever, but still. This is hard to do in 20 replays. It's hard to do this. 47.9. A 48 and 114 record. The, the, the inverse of what Atlanta actually did. Yeah, exactly. 48 and 114. 47.9, again, to be precise. Obviously, no playoff appearances. Their best, their best. Preplay, it looks like it was 58 and 103. Their worst was 34 and 128. 34 and 128, which is, <laughs> that's the Cleveland Spiders of 1899, if you know mm. your baseball history. Mm, mm, mm. Over in the Puckett division, uh, so a, a pretty clear division between first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, right? Only three and a half games separating Arizona from Elm Grove, but everything else is pretty clearly separated. Over in the Puckett, you've got, with an average of 96.6 wins, Middletown. Yeah. That Surprised me. I was a little high, I thought. I mean, they were a very good team. They beat me, and I, they had a great team, but or at least a very good one. Ford Duquesne, only 88.8. That's more in line with what I would have guessed, but anyway. Mm-hmm. I would have expected those teams to be closer. I would have both expected them to be right around 90, I think. Interesting. Or, you know, 90-91. there was merit in Middletown yeah. clearly winning that division. Yeah, 90-91, 92, I would have guessed for those teams, and they kind of split. The, anyway, um, Silver City. Uh, only 77.5, two playoff appearances. I should mention 19 for Middletown, 12 and a half for Fort Duquesne, two for Silver City at 77.5 and two for SoCal at 77.2. Berea finished with 67 wins on average, no playoff appearances. So not very surprising results overall. I mean, Atlanta and Middletown finished higher than I would have guessed, but not insanely so. Right, and I think given right. given the loss of Jose Fernandez, I, Vegas at forty eight doesn't even surprise me. That nah, team was so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that, those are how the uh, the replays finished up. Any final thoughts from the commissioner here? Uh, anything you want to leave us with when it comes to twenty sixteen? For my part, it was nice to get back into it, and I was able to sustain that for a few years afterwards, being competitive, having really good teams. Um, what about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah, it was just it was wonderful to see a great season out of Atlanta. They deserved the title. They yeah. won the title. Uh, it was exciting. Um, yeah, and it was good. I think we were getting used to the to the new format and uh, it really uh, kind of getting settled in with it. So, and then uh, we went into twenty seventeen, which I believe will give us another first first time plaque. Yes. Yeah, 20, 2016, 2017, we're all getting used to things. We're, we're all getting used to It's really funny in the early, early days, uh, people having no idea really what the value of money is. Like, right. you know, like what, you know, what, what draft pick is like $10 worth, right? Like right. who knows? Right. And it's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I remember Cooper making a trade at some point where he got a bunch of late draft picks, and I can't remember if money was involved in that trade. I don't even remember what year it was, but everybody's just sort of try, everybody's just trying to figure it out. Everybody, yep. most people, I think, are a little bit tentative because, like, you know, nobody wants to get absolutely taken, right? Right? <laughs> but nobody, but at the same time, nobody knows, and everybody sort of knows that nobody else knows either. <laughs> so it's like, who's going to take these first few steps into the right. unknown? Right. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think it, I think it was a lot of fun. I mean, what's one interesting fact, and we'll talk about this later, but in the uh, auction, yeah, we've never we've done we've now done four auctions, and we're about to do our fifth, and we've never had a player I think even go for close to two hundred dollars since. Since really, since. Wow. I don't I don't think so. I mean, the highest we typically see, and I, I guess I might have to correct myself later, but I think the highest we've seen really since then is kind of like the, in the Miguel Sano range, like one seventy. Okay, you know, like. Hmm. And that kind of that kind of lines up well Makes with the sense. cash amounts that we see in this yeah. other league that we're in, where there's more cash. But anyway, yeah. it, it kind of prorates in the same way. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was going to happen in that first year. I wasn't sure what the extent of it would be. I wasn't sure how cautious people would be. But my my suspicion, which I guess was borne out, was that people would not be very cautious at all. Right. And, and that money we'll and money just flew that flew first time. I guess we'll see if your strategy worked out as to whether you actually got any wall players in 2017. I did. Did you? All right. Oh yeah. There you go. My catcher to this day. Oh yeah, he had a great season a couple years ago. <laughs> what did he hit? Like 170? Right? Oh man, he had a. Uh, he wasn't that bad actually, but he was bad for him. <laughs> He's still on the team. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Well, I think that's everything. Okay. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. Uh, you want to say bye to everyone, JR, since you are the commish? Yes, bye, everyone. All right, <laughs> bye, everyone. Welcome, RBA. This is Jeff Hobbs with a, a bit of a postscript to this uh, podcast. I'm back, and this is actually the day after we originally recorded, uh, with a correction. Uh, the replay results that I read were incorrect. They were actually, this will show you how far out of practice JR and I really are. What uh, did I do? You did, ev- you, you, you screwed it up too. Uh, anyway, uh, the results that I read before were actually the, um, the pre-plays that I ran after the draft. And I, what I meant to read, of course, were the replay results after the season. So I'm going to very quickly do this right now. So here are the actual replay results from after the regular season. Atlanta averages 104.4 wins, which interestingly enough, I think is exactly the same. I think is exactly the same as the number I read or the answer that I got, the average that I got after the draft. Didn't change at all. 20 out of 20 playoff appearances. Elm Grove increases to 93.6 and 18 out of 20 playoff appearances. They added 18 points from the spreadsheet. So that is about right. That predicts about a five win increase. Arizona, 87.8. They make it 11 times out of 20. Dunedin, 77.3. And poor Cooper, Las Vegas, 43.0. They traded James Shields, I guess, to Elm Grove. And, of course, Jose Fernandez died. So 43, obviously no playoff appearances. Uh, They had one one, uh, replay where they went 34 and 129. Uh, somehow they played 163 games in that one. Anyway, um, Middletown over in the Puckett Division, 97.7. Oh, actually, Dunedin had one playoff appearance. Middletown in the other division, 97.7. Average wins, 18 appearances in the playoffs. Fort Duquesne, 88.7, 11 playoff appearances. Silver City, 81.0, the definition of an average team, one playoff appearance. SoCal, 72.3 and 0 appearances in the playoffs. And Berea, 64.4 wins and 0 playoff appearances. So that's correcting for the earlier mistake. And uh, that's everything I have. So thank you guys for sticking with us. And we'll be back with the 2017 podcast very soon. Goodbye.